Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Once again, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaching on prayer in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. Today, our focus is on the second half of verse 10. And yet, as normal, we will read the whole prayer. So please read with me as we begin Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we were reminded or we've, of one more person who needs the healing that you provide. We pray for Marianne Lovell and, and her diagnosis. And as we turn toward your word, we do ask that you illuminate this through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, if I stand here in my own power, this is a worthless endeavor. And so I ask today for the power of the Holy Spirit to help me to proclaim your truths in a way that you use to change each and every one of us in this room. Help us to see your glory in this. Help us to see our brokenness in this. And help us to see where Jesus reconciles those two things so that we might stand before you and effectively pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our culture today, at least in America and in Europe, works on the principal foundation of autonomy. I am my own man. I make my own rules. I live my own life. And nobody can tell me any different. We are told that we are at our happiness when we are able to live our lives according to those rules that we set for ourselves without the interference from any type of authority. Fight the power. Live life your own way. And this petition that we are going to look at today, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is a smack in the face, in the teeth of that particular dogma of our culture, that we are our own people under our own authority to live our lives our own way. So today we are going to look at this particular petition. This is the last of the three petition or the, the last of the three petitions focused on God. Um, the rest of these petitions, while given to God and really focused to God and focused in light of these first three petitions, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, begins to focus on our needs in this world. So today, as we look at this petition, your will be done, we will see what it means. And we will look at an example from Jesus life that gives us the power and the model to live this out in obedience and to live this out in our circumstances. First, what does it mean for us to say your will be done in earth or on earth, as we typically say it, as it is in heaven? Now, we don't have much revelation 
about the beings that reside in heaven and how they interact with God other than that they are always in complete and in total worship of God. We see this from Isaiah 6. We see this from Revelation 4 and 5 and other passages in Revelation as the beings in heaven, whether it's the angelic beings or the saints who are there either through martyrdom or through death, are in constant and total and complete worship of God. We have those songs from Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, whose glory fills the whole earth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come, and other songs throughout Revelation. But we have one other account in Scripture that tells us of the relationship between the angelic beings, even one of the fallen angelic beings, and God there in his throne room in heaven. And it is Job chapter 1 and 2. We have the beings who, we have the picture of the angelic beings ascending and descending the stairway, the ladder to heaven. Um, There in the book of Genesis, as Jacob is, is sleeping there in Bethel, The angels are there coming back and forth to do the work of God uh, on earth. And there in Job chapter one and two, these beings are gathered around the throne of God, giving report. And into the midst of these beings walks one called the accuser. And God sees the accuser and God says, what have you been doing? Why are you here? And he says, well, I've been roaming the earth to see how things are going. And God says, well, have you considered my servant Job, a righteous and blameless man, if there ever was one? And and the accuser, what we would call Satan, the accuser says, well, of course he is righteous and blameless. He's got everything he could ever want or desire. He's got the best homes. He's got the greatest wealth. He's got children who are just wonderful, adorable children. God says, fine, take it from him. Let's see how he does. But you stop where this line is drawn. See, in heaven, in the throne room of God, in the place where God resides, everything works and every being acts in obedience to God. Even God's enemy. We oftentimes think of God and Satan, our culture sometimes portrays God and Satan as these two equal powers who are just vying for enough people to tip the scales in one direction or another. But the truth is, God is the only uncreated being in this world and everything else is created by him and is subservient to him. And so what it means for us as human beings To hear and to pray, God, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Is to pray that total obedience be done first in the people of God. But secondly, in the whole world. In everybody that resides here. But it's not just obedience. It's desires and affections. And our wills need to be turned to God. Psalm 37, 4 oftentimes has been taken out of context. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires 
of your heart. We love that second half. We want God to give us the desires of our heart. Oh, dear God, please just drop that Magnum P.I. Ferrari in my garage tonight. I'd be super happy. That would be great. But we forget the first part of the verse. Delight yourself in the Lord. When we pray your will be done, we are saying, God, change my delight from the Magnum P.I. Ferrari to you. Let me delight, let me desire you above all things and let my affections lead to obedience and give me what I want most in this world, which should be you. When we say your will be done in earth as it is in heaven, what we are asking is for God to take our hearts and to tune it to him so that just like the angelic beings live 24 hours a day, seven days a week for all eternity in complete and total worship, we can live in the same way. And we can see the world transformed into people who desire nothing but the glory and obedience of God. That is what we are praying when we pray, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. But perhaps it may be easier for us to see this in an example from the one who has given us the model and the power to live out the model. And that comes from our New Testament reading from earlier today. In Matthew 26, as we look toward Jesus to see how he worked out your will be done as he was obedient in difficult circumstances. We have this account from Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. It's paralleled in two of the other Gospels. It's after the Lord's Supper where where the last supper where Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper. He has he has predicted that that Judas would betray him, that Peter would deny him and the rest of the disciples would in some way, shape or form abandon Jesus to his fate. He's left this dinner and he's gone to the garden. He has told the majority of the disciples to sit in one place to watch and to pray. And he's taken his three closest associates, Peter, James, and John. And he says, come along with me and pray with me. And we're told that as he was going off, separating from the larger group of disciples, as he was moving to the place where he was going to pray, that he began to be, as it says, sorrowful and troubled. One of those words in there is the word that we would typically use for horrified. He became horrified as he contemplated what was to come. He became horrified as many commentators say he actually began to experience the beginning of God turning his back on him. Why would God begin here when oftentimes we think of the abandonment and the beginning of judgment as happening as he was arrested and nailed to the cross? Because it is here in this place where Jesus has the final temptation for escape. Once he's arrested, once he's nailed to the cross, there's not much he can do. Jonathan Edwards argues that this is the true battle for obedience. That in this moment when the disciples are asleep, it's dark, it's the middle of the night, the soldiers have not yet shown up. Jesus has the temptation to sneak off into obscurity. 
and to follow his own will. And what does he say? Yet what does he say in this moment? The first thing he says is my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he asks Peter, James and John to stay and watch. Then he goes a little farther, farther. He falls on his face. Luke tells us that blood drips from the pores of his forehead, showing the great stress and tribulation that he was under. And what is his prayer? His prayer is my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he prays again, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And we're told in verse 44 that he prayed these exact words again a third time before he rejoined the disciples as the betrayer and the soldiers arrived. We see in this Jesus emotional honesty with God. This was a horrifying ordeal for him. He knew what he was was coming. He was beginning to experience the cup of God's wrath being poured out. When he says, may this cup be taken from me, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, he is speaking of God's judgment. We have a picture in the prophets of this goblet filled with the dregs left over from the making of wine. If you've ever made wine or beer, or you've been on a tour of a brewery or whatever you call a wine, a winery. Yeah, I think so. If you've ever been on a tour of those places, you'll see that as the, the, as the spirits for, ferment, the sediment, the yeast, all just kind of settles out into the bottom. And as they bottle it, they either filter it or do their best to keep that sediment from getting into the final bottled product. You have all this spent yeast dead bacteria. You have these solids from either the grapes or the barley, depending upon what you're brewing, that have just been sitting in liquid for weeks or months. It's gross. It's disgusting. It's the last thing that you would want to drink. And yet God's judgment is pictured in the Old Testament as a large goblet filled with that stuff that is boiling. And the nations are forced to drink it at its most hottest, at its boiling point. And Jesus says, I don't want to drink this cup. It scares me. It horrifies me. And I don't want to do it. But your will be done. How many times do we have circumstances that are far, far, infinitely far less than what Jesus goes through at this moment? Come upon us in our lives and we say, I don't want to do this. I'm out of here. How many times do we do that? I do it. You do it. God calls us to things in our lives. We we have this statement that, you know, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Sometimes God just calls. Equipped or not. And he says, go do this. And we look at this, it it, it might be entering into a bad marriage and seeking reconciliation. It might be sticking in a job where we know we can have gospel work done, but we are suffering persecution. It may just be 
living faithfully day by day, pursuing holiness in our life, living those boring everyday moments of our lives that lead to holiness. But we look at those and we say, I don't want to do this. And then we turn to our friend and we say, I don't want to do this. And then we turn to a stranger and we say, I don't want to do this until one of those people says, well, then don't do it. And we take that advice. And we sin in not doing what God calls us to do. Your will be done takes the emotional honesty of Jesus, just like the psalmist did. Psalm 55 is a psalm of betrayal. The psalmist says it gives us these pictures of an army attacking and destroying him. And he finally says, God, I could handle it if it was an army, but it's my friend. But I love you and I trust you and I know that you will take care of this. I know that you will be just whether I see justice here or in the future. So I will move into it. I will move into this. I will say your will be done. We have the model in Jesus, but we also have the power in Jesus. Because without his reconciling work applied to us by the Holy Spirit, we have no hope of this. We have no hope of ever honestly saying your will be done in my life as it is in heaven, in this world as it is in heaven. Jesus, in reconciling us to God, covered us with his success in saying your will be done, has covered our failures to do his will in us as it is in heaven with his righteousness, with his success, and has given us the Holy Spirit, which empowers us to move forward into the reality that we desire his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, where do we need to confess? That more often than not, we have said, my will be done. Forget heaven. Where do we need to confess those places where we have been called into difficulty, where we have been called into really ordinary life a lot of times and said, I don't want to do this. My will be done. God is working in us, calling us to do the things that he wants us to do. He wills for us sanctification. He wills for us gratitude. He wills for us good works. And he wills for us our sacrifice. Where have we said my will be done in those things? In those areas, we should pray Forgive us our debts and help us to cry out to you. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, forgive us. Too often times we buy into the, to the mantra, to the dogma of this world that says my will is paramount to everything else. And yet we are called to live under the petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, remind us, dear Lord, when we fail, and we will, remind us that our Savior has succeeded for us. And remind us that through Him we have the power to pursue Your will 
above all things, to turn from ours and to seek yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.